Welcome to episode 233 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us in our new studio with hopefully our uh, improved sound quality. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. Uh, today, there won't be an interview, uh, uh, but I'm joined for the news roundup by Evan Abrams, who's an associate in our blockchain and cryptocurrency group, and by Nick Weaver, senior researcher at the International Computer Science Institute and a lecturer in Berkeley's com computer science department. Uh, hi, Evan. Hey, good morning. And hi, Nick. Hello. And I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with NSA and DHS and the host of today's program. Uh, jumping right in, Uber is going to pay $148 million to uh, all the state AGs to settle their 2016 data breach uh, case, this is the one in which uh, somebody wrote to them and said, hi, I've got all these names and uh, um, other credentials, uh, I, and I think you should give me $100,000. And they said, how would you like to be part of our hacker uh, bounty program? Uh, and you just have to sign up to it and agree uh, to destroy the data. Um, and so retroactively, they made it a bounty payment rather than a breach. Uh, and then uh, when that emerged, uh, all hell broke loose and uh, they've been sued, uh, including by all the AGs. Uh, and they've now settled that case for $148 million, which I, I have to say is, is like $140 million more than you would ordinarily expect to settle a case with the AGs for. So uh, surprisingly big number. Uh, Nick, I don't know if you looked at this, but uh, my impression is that uh, there's never been any unfavorable consequence to any uh, user uh, of Uber from that breach, that the, the guy who found the stuff apparently did destroy it uh, as requested when he got his $100,000 uh, bounty payment. I think so. I haven't heard of anything. So this is really expensive for a breach that caused no known harm. Um, and I, I think it's it's basically um, a special deal for companies called Uber who have thumbed their nose at government for so long. And, and they're going to pay this uh, partly because they had that reputation and partly because they've got completely new management and they're trying to live down that reputation. And I think partially because the uh, cover up was worse than the crime. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was a close call. I, I, I think it was creative lawyering and there are times when creative lawyering is a bad idea uh it, it was it was close uh, it, uh the guy did ask for a hundred thousand uh, dollars and you could have squeezed that into the bounty program uh, uh with a little you know with a shoehorn uh, and that's what they did uh, um uh, but they didn't really have any uh, assurance that he had destroyed the data other than waiting to see if it showed up someplace so uh understandable that it was treated as a cover up. I'm not I'm not sure that's completely fair to the people who made that call. All right. Uh, speaking of being fair to uh, people, uh, Bellingcat, God bless them. Uh, they have tracked down the true identity of one of the 
two uh, uh, guys who went to the UK to carry out the nerve agent attack uh, on the Russian defector. Uh, uh, and they've written a very persuasive analysis uh, suggesting that he is in fact a Colonel Shapiga, I think, uh, uh, in uh, the GRU who's been decorated in the past for unknown exploits in eastern Ukraine, uh, or we suspect eastern Ukraine, um, a, and uh, is now completely outed as a a, a guy from uh, uh, who grew up in Siberia and um, is in his, I think, 30s uh, uh, and really will never be able to live this one down. Yeah. Bellingcat does amazing work. Like one of the little tells was finding this officer's name on a list from the military school he went to for having gotten the uh, Order of Russia Award, which is basically hand-delivered by Putin, um, and yet not in the public record, and all sorts of things. It's a really persuasive uh, dossier. And the amount of open-source work that Bellingcat does is just astonishingly good. Yeah, they, they, and it's, it's a, uh, an indication of just how hard it is to hide in the new digital world that we all inhabit. Uh, even people who are old enough to remember before there was a, uh, a social media world and who know they should be hiding but um, can't keep others from bragging about them, essentially. Yep, that it isn't just your data but data about you provided by others. So here's here's a question. I uh, I'll ask you, uh, although there's no reason why you have to answer. Um, would MI6 be justified in going out and killing this guy? I mean, he's he's killed somebody uh -huh. on on UK uh, soil. Uh, and uh, if you want to establish a rule that you don't do that, you kind of have to respond in kind, don't you? I don't know. Um, I'd be worried about. Uh, Living out Assassin's Creed of dueling assassins might be a bit escalatory. Uh, I don't know. No, I'm not sure it's escalatory to to, to return the favor. But uh, uh, yes, yeah, so that's and that is always the worry. Uh, but uh, as I've said in other contexts, I just assume the Russians had to stare into that pit for a while instead of us always saying, "Oh, we will be the responsible ones." Um, anyway, uh, so that's just a, a question. Not. Everything is coming together in Washington uh, in the last week or two for significant action on privacy, but it's too late for this Congress. Uh, um, at least that's how I see it. Uh, the Trump administration has now put out a, uh, a kind of think piece, very general, asking for people to give them comments before they start thinking about what their uh, detailed proposal on privacy might be. But their think piece reads like an FTC fair information practices rule, more or less uh, uh, written into statute. Uh, um, and so if the Trump administration is there and uh, Republicans are there. John Thune uh, has written an op-ed uh, that uh, uh, there needs to be some kind of uh, uh, approach to privacy that's better than what we have now. Um, and you know, Silicon Valley has basically said, oh, my God, if we don't get federal legislation that preempts California, we'll have to live with the California rules. So they're actually lobbying for a, uh, uh, a federal law. Um, a, and so – 
if there was 12 months left in this Congress, there probably would be one. Uh, since there isn't, and you have to assume that there'll be a Democratic House, I'm guessing that that means that the fight over preemption will make it much harder to get legislation at the federal level. I imagine so, because we in California like our uh, privacy legislations, even though we're the land of Facebook and Google. We <laughs> well, maybe exposure means we don't trust them. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Uh, and, um, uh, and of course, no one knows what the final California legislation is going to look like because this was a stalking horse designed to be amended over the next year. Um, and so the real question will be um, when Silicon Valley goes to Sacramento, what will Sacramento do with the, the, the placeholder bill that they adopted? All right. I, I, I want to ask uh, uh, Nick about the faux, that's not, uh, not in the sense of faults, but in the sense of PHO, uh, the, one of the pack rats, the NSA pack rats, who was indicted and is now being sentenced. There was a sentencing report that was, uh, you know, a little bit personal, uh, uh, with Mike Rogers writing a fairly, uh, uh, unhappy letter about, uh, Foe's impact. Um, and one of the questions that, that has arisen is, was this guy who took home massive amounts of stuff and connected it to the internet and used apparently Kaspersky software to guarantee that its security, uh, is he the source of a lot of the stuff that uh, the Russians have released as Guccifer 2 or as Shadow Brokers? What do you think? I don't think so. So let's remember what the Shadow Brokers dumps were. There were three dumps of tools and one dump of a workstation's uh, working set contents. For three of the four dumps, one of the or two of the tool dumps and one of the or and the Windows workstation, these were personalized. So these were working sets of individual operators. So a data pack rat wouldn't get those particular instances. So like a data pack rat might get the router tools or the mail server tools, but wouldn't get the router tools as being used in a particular campaign targeting particular IP addresses with the notes files on how my targeting is going and what my progress is. Mm -hmm. So what I suspect happened is both this guy and Martin were data pack rats that were caught up when the NSA went, oh, crud, and started basically doing an overall revamp of the security among the TAO side and uh, found these two. I think reading Mike Rogers' sentencing statement that Bo did result in the compromise of hacking tools on the Kaspersky incident and that caused the NSA to have to retrench a large number of tools. I think how serious it is, is saying that this is somebody who is pleading out to a single count of mishandling classified information. And I think he's going to face a sentence greater than Reality Winner did. And probably deserves it, right? I mean, he, he didn't have the oh, intent, yeah. uh, but, but the impact of his mistake is just really dramatic. Yes. Although the other interesting thing is, is the judge himself flagged the 
rules for the peons are different from rules for the rulers in that David Petraeus pled guilty to the same charge and got a literal, ouch, that hurt slap on the wrist. Well, because the woman he allowed to read his uh, diaries uh, also had a clearance and, as far as we know, didn't compromise it in any way that had an impact on the government, uh, which is fair. He he cautioned her about uh, uh, the sensitivity of that data in a way that she seems to have taken to heart. I I I think it's easy to say, oh well, he's a big shot and he got a, a good deal because of that, and maybe he did. But I think they are different cases. Oh, agreed. But it also shows the problem of having given him such a good deal is that it makes it harder to sentence people like Foe, who really do deserve the several years in prison, because it's very easy for the lawyers on the defense and the judge even to make the comparison. So I, I you know, I, 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 I agree with that, uh, but I will say uh, – when I was uh, at NSA, we had people who took stuff home, uh, usually for the best of motives. And this guy seems to have had the best of motives as well. He thought he was not living up to the standards of the team and that he had to get better and he wanted to practice and he wanted to study. And so he took it home for those purposes. Um, and so it was a, it was a dumb mistake. It's just that the, consequences of a dumb mistake when I was general counsel were that you had a bunch of stuff sitting around your uh, uh, study. Uh, and if the Russians knew enough about you to break into your study, they could steal your stuff, but probably they didn't. Um, whereas once you put it on the internet, uh, they they can find you and they will find you and they'll steal the stuff and all the consequences will, will flow. So he deserves a, a, a much tougher sentence than the people that we caught taking stuff home who mostly just lost their clearances and sometimes ended up with a, uh, a misdemeanor. Um, a, but uh, uh, I do sort of feel sorry for the guy. He's like 70 years old uh, uh, and he's uh, uh, doing his best to improve himself and uh, he's walked into a buzzsaw. Yep. Okay. Um Speaking of buzzsaws, the New York Attorney General has written a report on virtual markets and cryptocurrency. It is um, uh, it's pretty detailed, uh, and there's some interesting uh, aspects to it. I'm going to ask Evan to give us a uh, an overview. Uh, it is pretty detailed. It's forty uh, something pages. Uh, and uh, it originated uh, starting back in April when the Attorney General sent out a questionnaire to the 13 probably largest cryptocurrency exchanges out there, depending on how you measure it, uh, nine of whom chose to participate. Uh, four exchanges declined to participate, said that they don't do any business in New York, and therefore uh, they uh, did not feel the need to respond to the attorney general's office. Uh, the report's really aimed at uh, kind of your average uh, mom-and-pop crypto investor, if you will, and tries to kind of lay out risks and considerations that people should be focused on when using these exchange platforms and particularly some of the uh, differences between uh, kind of your average investor and your professional investor who's using uh, – you know, automated trading and things of that nature. So it, it, essentially they said if these crypto exchanges were the New York Stock Exchange, what would they be doing 
differently from what the, the crypto exchanges are doing and uh, tagged all of the conflict of interest issues and uh, uh, the like uh, uh, auditability uh, problems, essentially treating them as though they were a pretty sophisticated uh, uh, exchange. Exactly. Throughout the report, in a number of places, they compare these exchanges to the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ and the varying levels of regulation between those entities. Uh, the, the report summarizes kind of three major concerns or, or takeaways, um, although there's uh, obviously more than that throughout. But the, the three key findings, as the report calls them, uh, have to do with potential conflicts of interest on the platform. Uh, so that relates to both uh, entities trading on the platform, employees of these entities trading on the platform, uh, and then also concerns around uh, if they're receiving consideration for listing certain currencies or tokens. The other two key findings were concerns around abusive trading or market manipulation and uh, what the report cites as lack of, of effective controls around that issue, and then concerns around protection of customer funds with regard to issues of hacking. Uh, obviously, there's been a number of major exchanges that have been hacked uh, in the last couple of years, uh, and the report points out that there's no insurance for these exchanges like there is for uh, many of your traditional financial institutions or banks where you would typically hold your funds. There's no FDIC or other uh, similar type of insurance. Well, but, you know, the FDIC is like a federal program. So I can't get insurance for what I buy on the uh, NASDAQ, can I? Uh, so it's a little bit unfair to say, how come you don't have... Uh, Actually, yeah. yes, you do. You really? have SIPC. Oh, okay. Well, there, there you go. That's the goes to show I never buy anything on the NASDAQ. In <laughs> uh, a number of exchanges, I think, uh, have made the point and would make the point that uh, they're not ready insurance products for most of these exchanges, that they can just go out there to an insurance provider and, and get something like this. Uh, and, and it would be, probably be quite expensive uh, if there were kind of tailored crypto exchange insurance. But overall, you know, it, as cryptocurrencies and crypto exchanges become more mainstream and uh, make more money, it, this reads like a an agenda for regulating those currency exchanges so as to make them equivalent to NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. It does definitely have a flavor of that, and it's worth pointing out that New York has probably the most detailed uh, and complex regime at the state level for governing cryptocurrency business activity. They have the New York Bit License regime. Oh, yeah. Uh, which which would got, a lot, got panned by a lot of uh, uh, cryptocurrency companies, didn't it? So a lot of companies decided that it was going to be too difficult to obtain a license or that the regulations uh, they felt were going to be too burdensome. So a lot of companies left New York altogether after the bit license came out. Uh, recently, there's been a few more companies that have been moving back to New York or applying for the bit license, but there are still not many companies that have received a bit license. Uh, can't recall what the exact number is right now, but it's less than 10. It's a pretty small amount. So so most companies have chosen to avoid the state. Uh, and one of the well, interesting- but, uh, you know, Some of them are going to get dragged, kicking and screaming back to the state, right? So, uh, yes. Well, well, one of the interesting takeaways from the report is that uh, three of the four exchanges who declined to participate and said, we don't have anything to do with New York- uh, the New York Attorney General actually referred three of those four exchanges to the New York Department of Financial Services, who's the entity that uh, issues and oversees the bit license. And presumably, the state of New York intends to argue that those exchanges 
were engaged in some sort of virtual currency business activity within New York. So we'll we'll have to see how. Well, that knowing knowing how New York does, uh, defines what it takes to owe taxes in New York, uh, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. Nick, uh, I, you've been um, critical of the industry. Uh, it, is this sort of form of pretty aggressive U.S. look like the New York Stock Exchange regulation where we're going to end up? Um, I think so, but I think this is actually way too light touch. So. The problem is, is the cryptocurrencies are actually incompatible with modern finance because of the irreversibility. So, um, this is why you can't get good insurance for cryptocurrency. There's also liability shifting. So with Coinbase, for example, if your account gets hacked, somebody steals your money, Coinbase's response is sorry for your loss. Oh, so what, what you're saying is or, it, all, all of these things are designed to kind of close the transaction right away and not allow you to pull it back. Whereas if it were a New York Stock Exchange, everybody would know where the money went, where the stock went and could say that transaction's got to be reversed. Yes. And mm -hmm. reversibility is the key tenant for modern electronic finance because reversibility enables fraud mitigation, the ability to go, oops, undo, and at least for a limited period of time, undo it. All right. You don't have that cryptocurrency, so that's why the exchanges get hacked all the time. So let me ask another blockchain question because I, 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 it, blockchain's reputation for security is also being used to justify uh, voting on mobile phones in oh, West Virginia. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to laugh. West Virginia has allowed 24 counties to experiment with uh, vote by mobile phone, and it's all secure because it's on the blockchain. First of all, this is not a blockchain project. It's the same as the Walmart thing. You're calling it a blockchain when you have a limited number of authenticated writers. Um, basically, it's called a brain-damaged Git archive being sold to upper management with the magic word that causes people to shove money at you. So, so I, instead, I, I, let, me, let, me, let me push on that. I, it, it is a way, and people have put a lot of money into making blockchain easy and relatively uh, uh, standardized like IBM. And so taking advantage of that, I mean, the internet is just a way of trading data uh, between computers. But the fact that it was a protocol, the fact that it was easy, enabled an internet economy, aren't we going to see something like that? That blockchain is just a well-developed technology for keeping track of transactions in a ledger? No, because the thing is, is anything that could have benefited from an append-only ledger with a limited set of writers, all these private or permissioned blockchain business, that's 20, 30-year-old technology. We've known how to build it for decades, which means all these private or permissioned blockchain projects are one of two things. It's either internal, where... I've got to clean up data formats, data exchanges, et cetera. But if I say blockchain, management will actually fund the necessary <laughs> upgrades or it's consultants from IBM or whatever using the magic word blockchain, which causes upper management's eyes to glaze over and throw more money at the consultant. All right. So I take it then you think that uh, not only does blockchain not solve the security problem here, but that 
even saying blockchain is relevant here is a bit of a misrepresentation. Uh, and, and so um, why is West Virginia doing this? Because they want a vote by phone system for overseas military that as much as I hate the notion of internet connected voting because of potential fraud issues, that's actually a okay-ish objective in the very limited context of you're only using it for overseas military personnel um, in lieu of paper ballots. But What's wrong with paper ballots? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fine cause. Uh, we can stipulate that, that it's a good thing if we could do it. And, uh, neither the military nor the election boards have really covered themselves in glory in enabling, uh, folks who are a long way away, uh, and, uh, uh, maybe under fire to vote. Uh, um, but I, this, uh, this strikes me as ultimately going to, uh, end in tears. There was a statistic that came out on this, something like half of the uh, military uh, absentee ballots that came in from overseas uh, in West Virginia came in too late in the past election. Yes, uh, that's, so that's, I, that's, that's partly because the military has been slow to deliver them and partly because the secretary of state is slow to fix the ballot so that it can be sent out. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think Partially, it's – what makes me think might be able to improve the process is a bit more – common infrastructure. So a way where any local municipality can submit a PDF of the ballot, it gets printed out at the military installation and scanned there. And yeah, you keep a copy of the paper ballot, but you count the scan for uh, for uh, convenience. Yeah, you could do that. You're right. Uh, uh, it People, people are overthinking this, I suspect, uh, uh, and will regret it, but eventually, hopefully, we'll, it, it will settle out. Uh, uh, quick uh, set of uh, topics. Uh, there was a story suggesting that the, the GRU had developed tools that were persistent even when you reinstalled your operating system. Uh, that obviously is the P in APT, the persistence. Uh, um, I wasn't sure that was all that new uh, development no it isn't uh the nsa has been doing that for years um they've got a couple of uh software implants that actually go into the disk controller rather than the bios well that's and, even yeah, even even deeper right? and i yeah, i take it you're you're relying on leaked material that might not have been snowden leaked but was leaked as as part of the snowden uh, uh era uh, by uh, jacob Applebaum. yep and uh the the problem is is once that was leaked uh two different groups developed two separate versions targeting two separate disk controllers just for the heck of it within 6 months yep all right. Other other topics. Uh, a content moderator who works for a, a contractor to Facebook says that uh, looking at all those beheadings and child porn uh, uh, videos gave her PTSD and uh, she wants to hold Facebook liable. Uh, I don't at all doubt you can get PTSD from looking at that stuff. It's horrible. Uh, I used to know people who uh, were responsible for some of that and they they're favorite technique was to take a big yellow sticky and put it in the middle of their uh, screen 
So they couldn't see the most horrible parts of the video, but they could still figure out what was going on. Um, a, but I, I, I'm guessing 20% or less chance that uh, a lawsuit like this will succeed because essentially they have to say that Facebook was negligent in not figuring out a way to prevent PTSD, and I'm not sure there is a way. India's Supreme Court has uphold, upheld the Aadhaar program that we talked about uh, uh, recently that had been kind of hacked by people who wanted to create identities. Uh, and the Supreme Court said, yes, uh, this 1.2 billion person database is fine along with the uh, credentials that go with it. But um, we're not going to let you authorize banks to demand it uh, as well as government services. Uh, um Although there is an expectation that maybe new legislation would allow that. So, um, Adhar is here forever, uh, and it's time for them to figure out how to make it more secure. Facebook hit, uh, got hit for 50 million, uh, uh, accounts compromised and then realized a little later that, uh, the compromise, which I suspect is going to end up like uh, like Uber. It's not clear that anything bad happened as a result of this, but 50 million is a big number. And then 40 million more for people who use Facebook as their login credentials. So if, if, if you say, uh, yeah, log me in using Facebook, well, there were 40 million accounts that were apparently compromised that way, which is actually kind of more more the worry. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, Nick, could you agree? Yeah. And um, it's also unclear whether that 50 million is actual deliberate compromise or just the condition that could have resulted in ah, yeah, yeah. because it was with the view as other person mode. So the, the, the problem Facebook had here and that we're going to see this over and over again, this is, this is law in action, folks. Uh, uh, the GDPR says you must disclose your, uh, compromises within 72 hours. And it looks like Facebook kind of did that. Uh, uh and, uh, having, uh, done that, um, had to keep investigating after it had made the disclosure, which is probably why it went from 50 million to the additional 40 million. All right. Trump has accused uh, China of interfering in midterm elections on the theory that uh, why should uh, the Democrats have all the fun? Um, and I thought it was interesting. His, uh, uh, his example was an Iowa newspaper insert that the Chinese had written. Uh, this is a pretty common thing for foreign governments to do, to write a little insert that slides into the paper uh, that tells you how wonderful it is to invest in their country. Uh, uh, but the uh, uh, Chinese apparently devoted big chunks of it to explaining why uh, President Trump's trade war was bad for Iowa farmers. And uh, uh, Trump thinks that's a fake news and uh, interfering in our election. And you know, he's not completely wrong. So, you know, it's close enough for a tweet. And of course, whether or not it's actually true is kind of irrelevant. You well, just call it fake news and rant at it anyway. Well, I, you know, it, it, maybe it is bad for, news, for, for, for Iowa farmers, but I'm not sure that we should feel comfortable having uh, the, uh, the Chinese weigh in on uh, who should be elected uh, from Congress uh, from Iowa. Um, okay. A uh, bunch of reports that came out. I'll just bang through them. Uh, the Europeans reported that they have gotten most of S Silicon Valley to agree to uh, uh, nuke disinformation on their services. Uh, lots and lots of stuff about what all these services are going to do. What's missing is 
a definition of disinformation. Why do I think that's important? Because I think the Europeans believe that uh, uh, disinformation is anything that is uh, uh, tweeted by Donald J. Trump, uh, but they don't want to say so, so they're not going to define it. Uh, so we're going to see information taken off of American media services uh, uh, to satisfy European notions of disinformation. Just saying. Uh, DOJ has put down a put out a report. I went to a a long uh, meeting uh, at the Justice Department uh, with lawyers for people who uh, suffer breaches, uh, uh, and uh, uh, they then encouraged us to take uh, home their report, which is not bad. It's kind of best practices for what to do if you've had a breach. It's worth reading. Um, uh, they've done better best practices papers, but this is not terrible. Uh, but for one thing, uh, or maybe two, uh, uh, they, they throw regulators under the bus uh, saying it is worth noting that the Justice Department does not have a regulatory role in regard to data breaches. Accordingly, reporting a cyber incident to the department or to federal criminal investigators will not lead to regulatory enforcement action by the department for the incident. Basically saying you can tell us, we won't tell the rest of the federal government about what happened to you, uh, which, you know, uh, shows just how hard they're having to work to get people to show up and uh, uh, disclose. Uh, and then, you know, very sadly, uh, uh, they have persuaded the uh, uh, CSIPS has persuaded yet another administration to double down on the idea that hacking back is a terrible thing. Uh, uh, and that and they say, you know, victim organization should not unilaterally respond to an incident by accessing, modifying or damaging a computer it does not own or operate, even if the computer appears to have been involved, involved in an attack or intrusion. I talked to uh, justice officials about that. They do have new and better stories about why it's a bad idea. Uh, uh, we're not going to delve into them today, but uh, uh, I'll get them on to uh, to have that argument and move it a little forward. But I'm guessing that Representative Graves, uh, if you were hoping that this administration was going to endorse the ACDC Act, uh, don't count on it. Uh, and Aus the Australia Strategic Policy Institute says China is back and stealing our stuff, uh, that they never really gave up on stealing uh, commercial data. They just gave up on the idea that they might get caught. And so they are doing it much more subtly and more selectively. Uh, um, that's a uh, an analysis of several countries. Uh, uh, I think the Council on Foreign Relations uh, uh, contributed to that uh, um, uh, for the U.S., if I remember right. Uh, uh, and uh, Nick, I'll ask you, does that sound right to you? Yeah, okay. sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of – and look, let's, let's not forget that's a deal we would have taken. We indict these guys, which costs us rel relatively little, and we scare them into uh, not going into systems without lots of – controls and uh, uh, back out uh, options and uh, double blinds uh, designed to make sure that they don't get caught, which makes them less efficient at stealing stuff that, uh, you know, if, if all you have to do is smash the window and grab everything, you're going to get a lot more than if you have to, uh, you know, top cappy style uh, uh, come in through the ceiling. Uh, and now they are much more in cat burglar mode than smash and grab mode. And, you know, that's better than nothing. Uh 
federal CIO says we need more cloud. Uh, uh, House uh, has a, a report on uh, artificial intelligence that is nice for its bipartisanship, but the bipartisanship means it's pretty anodyne. And NIST has a new set of IoT standards because why should be they be the only ones who don't have IoT standards for people to suggest? So lots of reports out there, right? And uh, if you don't have time to read them, um, we've read them for you. Okay. Nick, Evan, thank you for uh, joining us. That's going to end our program because we don't have an interview today. This has been episode 233 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, don't forget, send us names for guest interviewees and we will send you one of our highly coveted Cyber Law Podcast mugs. Uh, uh, if you want to uh, send those suggestions, uh, uh, get them to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. Uh, I have not gone back to my uh, practice of trying to tweet the stories we're going to cover in advance, but I'll start doing that uh, at at Stuart Baker on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, uh, please do go and rate our show. Uh, you've heard the, sh the pitch. Uh, you've heard it from everybody. So if you like the show, please do that. If you like the quality of the audio, go back and say, hey, the audio is much improved. Uh, coming up, we've got Suzanne Schwartz, uh, who's going to tell us um, why we shouldn't worry about uh, hackers taking over our heart implants, uh, uh, or why we should. Uh, the general counsel of the UK's uh, version of NSA, GCHQ, is going to be on. It's very exciting for us first guest we've had where we couldn't actually use his last name. Uh, and Chris Krebs is going to explain to us why West Virginia's system isn't so bad, or maybe it is so bad, uh, and what DHS is doing about uh, uh, the security of uh, election systems. Uh, he'll be on before the election, so we'll get to hear about that. Not sure he's going to cover Iowa newspapers. Um, and finally, show credits. Uh, Lori Paul and Christy Jorge are our producers. Doug Pickett's our audio engineer. Mike Beaver is our our intern, Stuart Baker, is your host. We hope you'll join us next time as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.